The reading is Daniel 5, and it's on page 890. Daniel 5, on page 890. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster on the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed round his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed round your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your Majesty... The Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. 
But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life, and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perses, Perez, Parsin. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed round his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, David, very much for reading uh, a wonderful long story for us. If you don't yet know David and Sally, do say hello to them. David leads the work of the Barnabas Fund in the UK, which uh, works with those who are persecuted around the world. It's great to have you as part of the church family. Uh, welcome those who are visitors here. My name is Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. You are very welcome. We are looking this term at the book of Daniel. We had a break for half term, and we've come back to it. Uh, and at 1 Peter in the evening for the same reasons. We live increasingly in a society that has turned its back on God, and no longer as a society believes in God, and Christian values are sort of being eroded. Now, Daniel and the exiles from Judah lived in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, which certainly didn't have the same faith as then. And in the evening, Peter is writing to Christians who are exiles scattered around modern-day Turkey. And there's much we can learn from Christians in the past, or certainly godly people in the past, who have sought to honor God in a culture which doesn't hold the same values those of us who grew up in what felt more like Christendom, it's a new era we're in. Uh, so that's why we're looking at these books now. Let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord God, our Father, we praise you for Daniel's faithfulness all those years ago in exile in Babylon, determined to be true, the one living God, despite all the pressures against him. Give us grace in this day and age to be true to you, and we pray now, send your spirit, take what I've prepared and speak through it supremely through your word to each one of us about how we can live in a godly way in this society we live in now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, this is one of those cracking Old Testament stories. If you don't know your Old Testament stories, please read them. They are wonderful and a rich heritage for us. Uh, three modern-day uh, proverbs are from this one chapter. You may be a student or you may be at work. If your work is not uh, going well, you might be said that you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Uh, if the situation gets worse, you might be told that your days are numbered. Uh, if the situation gets even worse for you and your company, it could be that the writing is on the wall for the company. All three of those phrases are here from this wonderful story of Belshazzar's feast at the end of the Babylonian Empire. It's a classic case of God judging. Now, normally, God's judgment is withheld. He's very patient, as he is with us. Jesus hasn't returned yet. But God always does judge, as he did in the days of Noah, so here. And one day Jesus will return and there will be a judgment for all. As uh, the writer of the Hebrews wrote, Hebrews 9.27 says this. As people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment, all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. For those of us who are Christians who put our faith in Jesus, there is nothing we need to worry about because Jesus has paid the price we are forgiven. It's wonderful grace. But we still give account for how we've lived. Uh, but where a person or a society is intent on ignoring God and going away, there comes a point, as it did for Pharaoh, as in Noah's day, as it did here for Belshazzar, where God's judgment falls on that nation. And we'll see how that fell uh, here. Uh, for those of you who don't know your Daniel joined us halfway through. Daniel was carted off into exile about 600 BC. Jerusalem was overpowered by King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, and he took all the leaders into exile. All the intelligent young folks were taken and were trained up to serve in Babylon's civil service. And so that was Daniel. He was probably a teenager. Uh, when he was carted off into exile. This is right at the end of that exile period, probably 60 years later. Daniel is probably an old man in his 70s now. He's served faithfully through the years. Next week, we'll meet him in the lion's den uh, when he's up against Darius uh, as an older man. But he stayed faithful to God the whole way. Nebuchadnezzar is dead. His son or descendant, you could translate the word either way, Belshazzar, is in charge, but he's not really the king. Nabonidus is the king, but he's away doing something else, and Belshazzar is looking after the kingdom for him. A bit like, if you know your Robin Hood, uh, when King Richard was away fighting the wars, King John, who was not a good king, uh, ran this country. He was a bit of a Belshazzar, really. I think he was in it for himself. Uh, so that's why the best Belshazzar can offer Daniel is the third place in the kingdom, because he himself is number two. And now, here is a nation that is being judged, and God's judgment comes with the writing on the wall. And as I've prepared it, and I've read through some old notes, I've been struck by how much our nation has changed uh, from when I first preached this about 30 years ago, and, and then 20 years ago, and then 10 years ago that 30 years ago it felt like our nation held to Christian values in theory, but probably not in practice. Now in theory, most of those have gone. Praise God, there is still lots that's very good, and some Christian values are hard to get rid of, and they're still wired into much of the fabric of the nation. But as we look at God's judgment on Babylon, I've jotted down here five aspects of a society facing judgment, and I think we see bits of all of these in our society, which I hope will lead us to pray for God to have mercy on our nation.
Uh, the first one is there's no control of basic appetites. So let's read the first four verses again. And Belshazzar gave a great banquet for thousands of his nobles, drank wine with them. While he was drinking his wine, he gives orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines, drank them. Here is a feast with no limits. Probably in their drunkenness, they call for these goblets to be come in. But it struck me that we live in a society where there's very little limit put on appetite. People used to be embarrassed if they'd been drunk. Now it seems to be celebrated, or drug-taking seems to be normal, uh, or sexual appetites. Whatever they are, there's no sort of restraint on appetites anymore. And when you see this degeneration, you can see it if you've read any of your history of societies that are reaching the, reaching the end. Uh, you see this degeneration. It was certainly here in Babylon, and it's here in our country too. Nebuchadnezzar, who was certainly a, a, a terrible man in many ways, uh, but he was a builder. He built up Babylon. Belshazzar is just a waster. He's just into this sort of, let's eat and drink and be merry. Who cares what happens tomorrow? Uh, there's no restraint on rampant materialism. Here in verse 4, they're bringing in the gold goblets and they're drinking wine and praising the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. There's no worship of the creator. There's worship of created things. And far worse than that, they've called for the God of Israel's gold and silver goblets and chalices to be used. Now, if you happen to get hold of the silver communion things we use here at St. Paul's and use them for your dinner party at home... That would probably be inappropriate, but if you're worshipping the Lord and giving thanks to him, uh, there would be a debate. But if you take those same silver chalices and use them to toast other gods, then that is beyond the pale. Here, is, here they are, not worshipping the God who made us, but his created things, and deliberately mocking the God of Israel by taking these gold and silver goblets. At least Nebuchadnezzar had honoured them by putting them in a temple albeit to another god, but they'd been honoured. Now they're just used. Our society mocks Christian faith and those who believe in God. And it takes far more courage to stand up for what you believe. But the serious thing about Belshazzar and anyone like that, when you start not worshipping the creator but the created things, it sets up a spiral of judgment in Romans 1. Paul talks about how instead of thanking God and worshipping him, they worshipped created things, and God gave them up indeed, to where the appetites led. Uh, I first heard David Pryor preach on this. He was the vicar uh, of the church where I was a student, and I heard him preach on this. He went on to be the vicar of a church in London in one of the wealthiest squares in the middle of London. He said, I've been into every house in this square some of the richest people in the land, and I could not take you, quote, I can't think of a genuinely happy home. But there's this excess of materialism and idolatry that actually it doesn't, that's not who we're made to be. We're made to worship the one true God. Uh, our society tends to know the price of everything but the value of nothing. Although that I was a bit shocked this week, as you may have been, by the judgment on Heathrow. For the first time ever, something other than the economy has ruled in a decision that it was environmental considerations are more important than the economy. Well, that's good, 
But if our society starts to worship Mother Earth instead of gold and silver, we haven't come a long way. We need to pray that we come back to the worship of the true God. There's no respect for the wisdom of others and the wisdom of those who've carried weight in the past. So Daniel, who's probably now mid-70s, is forgotten, though Belshazzar would have been perfectly aware of him in his youth. And it takes the Queen Mother to come in and remind them that here is someone who might be able to help. I am often concerned, and I've been concerned this week, uh, about the government when good people are let go of. Good people who've carried weight and wisdom. I'm not making a party political point because uh, the Labour Party is as guilty as this of the Conservative Party of ditching wisdom from the past of good people who've gone and in, and in different places. But when people who've been wise and godly in the past, when their voice is no longer heard, that's dangerous. And that was certainly happening in Babylon. Uh, let's pray it doesn't happen too much in our nation. There's no appreciation of their past history. Uh, so Daniel has to give Belshazzar a bit of a history lesson about what happened to his father or ancestor Nebuchadnezzar when he was proud. Let me read to you again from verses 18 to 22. Your majesty, Daniel says to Belshazzar, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grace, grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Now, we didn't preach chapter 4, but if you read chapter 4, you'll read how Daniel warned Nebuchadnezzar that if he was arrogant, God would, he'd lose his mind. And he did, and he lost his rule until he came back and acknowledged God and was restored uh, to worshipping the true God. Nebuchadnezzar sort of flitted to and fro between being pro the God of Daniel and being very against. Uh, but when he humbled himself, he was restored. And Daniel says, Belshazzar, you knew this, but you have not humbled yourself at all. Now, I'm concerned that the Christian faith is being airbrushed out of our history. You may remember a few years ago on Remembrance Sunday, on Remembrance Sunday uh, I got hold of an old Pathé News clip about a national day of prayer at the time before Dunkirk. And we showed where King George had called the nation to prayer and churches were full of people praying. And there was this extraordinary miracle with a storm the other side of the channel, but the channel as flat as a mill pond and people went to, all the little boats went across to rescue people from Dunkirk. And it was described as the miracle of Dunkirk. No one's being taught that bit in history. Yes, what happened at Dunkirk, but not that there was a national day of prayer or that it might have had anything to do with it. Not in the film, not in the history books. It's just sort of washed out. If our nation loses its Christian past, that's not good. I was really struck by one of the new MPs. The new MPs get to give maiden speeches, and some of them use it very wisely. Uh, you could Google Danny Kruger, the MP for Devizes, who's a Christian. Uh, they get seven minutes uninterrupted, and the first five minutes he was just being quite funny, 
just to, but then he said that our nation is built on Christian values. And even if you don't share the Christian faith, we have to be very careful about losing those values, which in his opinion are timeless and calling our nation not to jettison from the past. We need to pray more, as Ruth did in the prayers, for those who walk the corridors of power, to speak to power as Daniel did in Babylon, uh, and not let our nation forget its Christian history. And there was no awareness of their perilous situation. That very night, Daniel said, uh, judgment would fall. That very night, the Medes and Persian army were at the gates of Babylon, and they came in. They were welcomed by the people who were fed up with Belshazzar. And that empire came to an end. The Babylonian Empire that had been the superpower in the region since they had defeated the Assyrians. Now the Medes and the Persians came. And as Daniel had prophesied to Nebuchadnezzar, they went and Alexander the Great came. His kingdom came and went. The Roman Empire came and went. But in the days of the Roman Empire, a kingdom started under Jesus that has grown and carries on growing. It's all there in Daniel. It's extraordinary. Uh, the root of all these problems that Belshazzar and the Babylonians had is pride or arrogance of setting themselves up as not needing God. Uh, classically, uh, verse 22, you, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew this. I just look back at the end of chapter 4, verse 37, where we see what Nebuchadnezzar had said himself. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Neb Babylon had had long enough, God's judgment, that the time was up, and he came and wrote with his finger on the wall. The same finger, presumably, that wrote the Ten Commandments on the stone uh, for Moses. And Belshazzar and everybody go pale, and they're terrified. And they call all their magicians in who are utterly useless as they have been at every stage the whole way through Babylon. Do you remember, I found in my old notes here, uh, some of you will remember on television a generation ago, I've forgotten this, found it in the old notes, there was someone called Mystic Meg who used to be called up. Do you remember? Some of you are old like me, if you remember, who was called on to sort of say what was going to happen. And when she got the sack, the sun had this glorious headline, Mystic Meg gets the chop and she didn't see it coming. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that wonderful? But you get the same sort of parade of these useless folks. Um, and then Daniel's called. And he says the king can keep all his gold and honors. He's not interested in that. You can't buy God's gifts. But he will explain the writing on the wall. Here it is, verse 25 of our chapter. Uh, meany, meany, tekel, Parsin. The scholars suggest these are probably currency units. Tekel, similar to shekel, that, that sort of idea is where we come. Probably. In which case, God is using the currency they understood, let's celebrate gold and silver and wealth and money, to explain the judgment. And then each one is spelt out. Mini, verse 26. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Repeated twice, this is certain. God weighs us. Uh, Tekel, verse 27, you've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. 
Now, uh, as we were praying before the service, someone had a picture of us a bit worried about our own lives and then Jesus coming and standing on one side of the scales and his weight is substantial. We, if, if you have bowed the knee to Jesus, you are part of his great kingdom and family. You don't need to be worried about which way the scales tip for you. But if you oppose him, you'll be weighed on the scales and found wanting. And then Perez or Parsin, verse 28 your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. The word either means divided or it means Persian. Well, either way, uh, the kingdom was coming to an end. And that very night, it did come to an end. And the Medes and Persian Empire started. And Darius the Mede was the emperor. And it was him we'll, we'll meet next week with Daniel at the incident with the lion's den. Now, what are we to make of this, these stories of judgment? Sometimes people say to me, well, I don't think much of the God of the Old Testament who's always judging people. I rather like Jesus and his message of love. <laughs> to which I always say, have you ever read the Gospels? Jesus talks about judgment again and again. Uh, we've got a few minutes before the children come back. So uh, uh, I've jotted down eight or nine references from the first ten chapters of Matthew's Gospel without going any further. Uh, this is Jesus, uh, who they think isn't the same as the God of the Old Testament who believes in judgment. Uh, Matthew 5.22. Anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. This is the loving Jesus. Matthew 5.29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole part of your body to be, whole body to be thrown into hell. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. It's about, do you know Jesus? Have you bowed the knee to him as your Lord? Are you in relationship with him? Uh, Matthew 8, 12. The subjects of the kingdom of Israel that was talking about will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds their life, tries to save their life, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's just ten references from the first ten chapters. We haven't got as far as the sheep and the goats and everything else that you get later or the other gospels. Don't let anyone divide off for you. Jesus in the New Testament, the God of the Old Testament, the same God. The God of the Old Testament is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of the Old Testament is the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, he loves us, but he's holy and he's a God of judgment, and the judgment will come and Jesus will return. And this is how the judgment works, uh, we're told in John's Gospel 3, uh, read from verse 16 onwards. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There will be a judgment and people will perish, but God loves so much that no one needs to. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be plainly seen that what they've done has been done in the sight of God. You see how judgment works? The light shines and we either come towards it or we turn our back on it. Jesus came shining his light and we have come to him to bow our knee to him. And we are forgiven his love uh, on the cross, paid the price for all our sin and rebellion. But of course there are many in our world who turn their back on that light and continue to walk away from it. Uh, Daniel shone God's light into the kingdom in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar responded to it once, but Belshazzar completely turned his back to the point where it was too late. We need to pray for our nation. So what's the writing on the wall for us? Well, what, what Nebuchadnezzar said is a pretty good start for us. Daniel 4.37 I praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. As Peter puts it, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 we'll have in the evening. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. For anyone here who is standing against God, today is a day to consider that. Uh, many of you may have been weighing things up or some of you may have been weighing things up. Am I going to bow the knee to Jesus as my Lord or am I not? Today would be a great day to do that. But if you hold God at arm's length and oppose him, if you worship created things rather than the creator, that sets up a trajectory where you walk away from the light. And that is tragic if that's how things end. The writing on the wall for us at St. Paul's Supremely is over my head. It's in the bricks put there 140 odd years ago by those who built the church. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way. It's not a religion, it's a person, it's a relationship. And he ushers us into relationship with God. And he took the judgment on himself. Uh, but there's another thing we're to do with a God of justice, uh, other than come to him and confess and repent and trust. We need to rejoice in his justice. I've been very struck by this week. In my quiet times I've been reading, I tend to read a psalm or two a day and then another passage of scripture. I've been reading Psalms 95 to 100, which all speak about the Lord reigning, sing to the Lord a new song for he comes to judge the world. And knowing I was preaching on God's judgment, I was forcibly struck by this call to rejoice in the God who is the judge. So Psalm 96, just a few verses. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. And the last verse of the psalm says, Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He'll judge in righteousness and faithfulness. We are to rejoice that we worship a God who will judge. He cares about us enough to take what we do seriously. 
Uh, did I tell you the story at the beginning about my friend's friend who's a teenager struggling at school? I think I told that at the early service. The trouble with having preaching twice in the morning. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, a friend was having a meal with a family friend of his, and the child there may have been a teenager, maybe not quite. Uh, he asked how he's getting on. Oh, I hate school. Why do you hate school? Well, the teacher doesn't care. And he's thinking, oh, come on. <laughs> Lots of children might say that, but it might be them. How do you know the teacher doesn't care? She never marks my work. Isn't that soul-destroying if you work and you hand it in and it's never evaluated? Why do you bother? God is a God who cares enough to hold us accountable for what we do. Uh, one day we will stand before him and our lives will be evaluated. We are forgiven because Jesus paid the price. But the, the book of our life, as it were, is put through fire, it says in 1 Corinthians. All that's been unworthy it will just be burnt up as wood and hay and stubble. But all that's wonderful comes out as gold and jewels and precious things. I think you will all be amazed how many things you've said and done for others that you thought were insignificant that have become gold and jewels that you'll find on the Day of Judgment. And I suspect we'll all be embarrassed about how much time we invested in stuff that was just wood and hay and stubble. It just doesn't count. God loves us enough and honours us enough to take us seriously. He gives us free will, but he is a God who will judge. So we are to rejoice in that and look forward to the day when he will come and sort everything out. And that day is coming. Uh, it would be wonderful if he came back tonight. That would be marvellous. But we don't know when it will be. It may be in our lifetime. It may not be. Uh, Peter addressed this in, the, in 2 Peter. This is the last thing. I'm coming into land, for those of you who think I've been going on long enough. 2 Peter chapter 3 uh, Peter says, you must understand in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it was at the beginning of creation. And Peter goes on to say, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. For the Lord, it's a couple of days since the resurrection. But he's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. If you've come to faith over the last year, thank God that Jesus didn't come last year. You've had time. And he's not come yet, which gives us time uh, to pray and look to give the message of Jesus to friends, neighbours, our nation, to pray this nation comes back to the Lord. There are signs in our nation that we're a nation drifting away from our Christian heritage. There are other signs that that may not happen. There's certainly a whole lot better stuff going on here than with the values of Babylon. So let's pray that our nation comes back to the Lord and let's pray for ourselves that we're faithful. Would you stand? Uh, I usually say, please could the band come back, but our rather slimmed down band will come back in a minute uh, to lead us. Our, our Lenten bands, we're having slimmed down bands uh, so we don't, we're not in any danger of worshipping the music, but the Lord in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you that on the cross you took the judgment for our sin on yourself. You died in our place so we can be forgiven and washed clean. Wash us clean afresh today, we pray. We praise you that one day you will come again and the whole heavens and earth will be made new, renewed. 
and everyone will bow the knee to you and acknowledge that your judgment is just and true and right. And we look forward to that great day. But pray that you would keep us faithful until then, uh, or as long as we live, whichever comes first. So come now, send your spirit on us and minister to us. If there's anything you want to bring our attention to in our own lives, please speak to us in the quietness. Shine your light, Lord, into our lives and give us grace to turn to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just take a minute or two in quiet together. know that Jesus told us that his father is like the father in the story of the prodigal son with arms open wide as we come to him there may be things he's pointing out maybe one or two of whom it's issues of forgiveness we're told to forgive others as Jesus forgave us if there's someone who's hurt you very badly you may well need to talk and pray that through sometimes over quite a time if that's you and there's something you're stuck with, forgiveness, can I encourage you to ask the Lord now to give you strength to deal with that, to make you willing to forgive, to help you work it through. Can I recommend you pray that through with others? You might want to book an appointment at the well who are well used to giving time for this sort of thing. There may be someone here who's been weighing up whether to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord or go their own way. And if there is anyone here like that, can I encourage you in the quietness of your heart to say, I'm sorry, Lord, I've gone my own way. I'm sorry I've been so proud. Please forgive me. Please come into my life and help me to live with you as my Lord. And give me courage to stand for you. And we pray, Lord, if there's anyone here for whom today is the day, that you will indeed fill them with your spirit and give them joy. Help them know that you love them. And if that is you, can I suggest you tell someone, probably someone who would be pleased, a Christian friend or me afterwards, if you like. Lord, give us grace to be godly like Daniel. And we cry to you to call our nation back to you. As our nation sort of loses confidence in government. Those in authorities sort things out as we face things that we cannot control humanly. The floods, this coronavirus that's spreading. Lord, will you lift people's eyes to you to call back to you? and give us grace to point people to you. And as we worship you in song, Lord Jesus, as we rejoice in you, the God who took the judgment on yourself and will come again, fill us with a, a, a 
confidence in you and are looking forward to that great day when you come again. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's anything you'd like prayer for individually after the service, there'll be a prayer team. Ruth will explain about that afterwards. Or you may want to pray with folks just near you in the chairs. Uh, but let's worship the Lord together first.